We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. Today's reading is from Mark 6. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be. You can take your seats. Let's take just a moment to pray together. Father, we ask now that you would come and that you would speak to us. You would speak to us wherever we come into this room this morning, whether we come full of belief, full of joy, full of a sense of your nearness and presence in our lives, or whether we come full of doubt full of questions, full of wondering if you're there and if you're care. God, we need you desperately. And so we pray that you would speak to us in such a way that our lives would be changed. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Brent. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't met you yet, I would love to get to meet you after the service. Uh, Please come introduce yourself to us. Dave and I will be up front. We'd love to get to learn your name. Uh, We have been working our way through a series in the Gospel of Mark, and we have been looking at the life and the teachings and the claims of Jesus. And if you really pay attention, uh, when you read Mark and when you read the other three Gospels, uh, what you begin to see is there is no one like Jesus. There's never been anyone like Jesus. There's no one who has said the things that he said, and there is no one who did the things that he did. I was thinking this week, about the old Dos Equi beer commercials. Do you remember these? Some of you don't even remember commercials. Okay, that was a thing. It was a thing. It would be like this interruption to your show. Yeah, so uh, the Dos Equi beer commercials, I hate commercials, but these were actually pretty great. Uh, They always featured the older, very suave, you know, kind of James Bondish guy. Remember him? And... uh, you know, stay thirsty, my friends. That was his famous line. And every, his commercials are great because every commercial would have him doing something like crazy and adventurous, like diving off of cliffs into the ocean, you know, or fighting a bear in the wild. And they always had these like over-the-top one-liners to describe him. Do you remember this? Like, here are some of my favorite. Uh, if opportunity knocks and he's not home, opportunity waits. 
That's pretty great. That's pretty great. That's pretty great. Uh, here's another one. Uh, when he met the Pope, the Pope kissed his ring. Uh, one more. Sharks have a week dedicated to him. So amazing. All right. So what I love, the best part of these commercials, though, was every time they ended, the narrator would say, he is the most interesting man in the world. And I think they ought to put Jesus in that commercial. I mean, talk about interesting. Think about, not that, it's kind of hard to imagine Jesus in a beer commercial, maybe a wine commercial, that was his first miracle. Um, But, you know, talk about interesting. I mean, think about his influence on the world. Friends, you cannot look at a map without being reminded of him. We live in the San Francisco Bay Area. Do you know where that gets its name from? It gets its name from a man named Francis of Assisi, who was a follower of Jesus in the 13th century. And he shunned family wealth, and he dedicated his life to caring for the poor. Uh, Our capital is named Sacramento. You know where that comes from? It comes from the fact that Jesus gave two sacraments to his disciples, baptism and this table. Um, Not only has he changed our maps, he has actually changed our calendar. Uh, Every time we look at an important date in history, we are reminded that a man who hardly lived 30 years became the dividing line of history. Think about this. We have no physical depictions of Jesus. We don't know what he looked like. In fact, when we moved into this building in 2018, Jesus over here in this little picture was like a white Will Ferrell as a five-year-old. And we had that changed because we don't know what he looked like, but we know he didn't look like a a, a white five-year-old Will Ferrell. Okay? Jesus was dark-skinned. That's about all we know. We have no physical depictions of him, and yet... He has been the most frequent subject of art in the history of the world. His influence has swept over all of human history, from art to science to government to politics to medicine and to education. His followers are the reason that we have institutions like Cambridge and Oxford and Harvard and Yale and a bunch of other schools that I never could have gotten into. And at first glance... At first glance, his resume is rather simple. It's pretty simple, actually. He never wrote a book. He never held political office. He never had a lot of money. In fact, he died poor and penniless. And yet, Jesus is the most famous person in all of human history. More songs have been sung to him. More books have been written about him than anyone else in history. You see, there's no one like him. There's no one like him. And we see that on every single page of the Gospels, but we see it in an especially powerful way in our passage today. Because in verse 50, Jesus says what I think are some of the most profound words in all of the Gospels. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Who talks like that? Who says things like that? Jesus says things like that. 
And who needs to hear that? I mean, well, if we know ourselves at all, every single person in this room needs to hear that in some way or other. The list of fears that we bring into this room this morning is endless. We fear being alone. We fear not having enough. We fear not being enough. We fear being known. We fear being rejected. We fear the future. We fear death. We have financial fears. We have relational fears. And we have health fears. But what if there was someone who could actually speak into your fears this morning? Who could actually give you an inner calm, an inner peace, an inner stillness, no matter what is happening outside of you. Wouldn't you want that? I, I don't, friends, I don't care where you are on the spiritual spectrum this morning. You walk through those doors convinced of the claims of Christianity or utterly unconvinced. Every single person in this room wants someone to speak into our lives like this. Can we have it? This passage says yes. But to have it, we need to consider three things. This passage says, here's where we're going today. There is a storm that we cannot escape, that we can't escape. There is a power that we can't live without. And there is a love that we can't ever lose. A storm we can't escape, a power we can't live without, and a love we can't ever lose. So first, a storm we can't escape. All right, the passage this morning, let me just give you a little bit of context. It picks up after one of Jesus' most famous miracles. It is the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. But the crowds, they don't understand who Jesus is after this miracle. They think that he is this great political ruler who has come to overthrow Rome and to put Israel back into power, but that's not who he is, is at all. So what does Jesus do? Well, look at the text. Verse 45 says, immediately he makes his disciples get in a boat and leave kind of interesting. Because most of us, we love to ride waves of popularity. Jesus did not do that. When people did not understand who he was and why he came, he eschewed fame. And so the disciples in this moment, they're just as susceptible as the crowds to getting it wrong, to think, thinking Jesus is someone that he's not, to thinking that he's come to do something that he hasn't come to do. And so before they get caught up in all the excitement, he gets them out of there. While he, on the other hand, in verse 46, goes to be alone and pray. Now, look, look at the text here in verse 47. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. And he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Now, that word straining is a very strong word. Here's what it means. It means that they were tormented. So Jesus is praying, and he looks out in the middle of the night, and he sees the disciples in a storm. And it's not, it's not a small storm. It's a giant storm. They are tormented. They're not, they're not just a little overwhelmed. They are totally overwhelmed. They don't just need a little bit of help, but they are totally overcome by their circumstances. Have you ever been in a storm on the water? It is very different from being in a storm on the land. I, I grew up in a part of the country where we had tornadoes and hurricanes. Okay, now, uh, when you're on land and those kinds of storms come, there is a place where you can take cover. 
where you can find refuge, where you can find protection. But that is not true if you're at sea. See, if you're at sea and those things come, there is nowhere to go. There is nowhere to hide. And you are surrounded by forces and circumstances that are way bigger than you, way bigger than your ability to manage or to handle. Now, do you know what this is called? Do you know what this is a picture of? It is a picture of life. Life is not a land journey. Life is like being at sea. And it is filled with storms. It is filled with storms that are way bigger than us. It is filled with storms that you cannot escape no matter how hard you try. And it is filled with storms that overwhelm us and overcome us. And some of us, we have been in touch with this for a very long time because we have been enduring years of struggle, financial struggle, relational struggle, housing struggle. And some of us, we have been in touch with this from the day we were born. Life has always been hard. But others of us, but for others of us, it it takes some time to actually realize this. If you were born into a relatively good home and in a relatively good neighborhood and you have access to relatively good schools and you are relatively successful in life and you are relatively shielded from suffering, you can go quite a while thinking that life is like a land journey and difficulties come along But for the most part, you feel like you can manage. There's this illusion of control, actually. But you only have to live so long before that illusion comes crashing down. You lose your job. You experience relational betrayal. You're single. You're still single, and you never thought you would be at this point in your life. Your marriage falls apart. You have a hard time having children. Or you have a miscarriage. Or your child goes through something that you never thought they would. Or you get sick. Or someone you love gets sick. Or you go through financial devastation. And maybe you even end up homeless. Listen, these kinds of things, friends, they do not ask for your permission. They simply crash into your life like a storm, like a hurricane. And it is overwhelming when they do, because you realize how out of control you actually are, and how helpless you are, and how defenseless you are. And you see, not only is it overwhelming, but listen to this, it is spiritually disorienting. It is spiritually disorienting. Some of you, you're here this morning and you are teetering on the edge of faith and you're saying, I don't know if I can believe in God anymore because of things that have happened in my life. But I want you to hear this, please. Christianity does not promise you a life without storms. It is not a get out of difficulty free card. 
In fact, some of you say, ever since I've become a Christian, things have only gotten harder. You see, Jesus is very honest about this. I love the way G.K. Chesterton, who is a writer and theologian, he said Jesus promised his disciples three things, that they would be completely fearless, absurdly happy, and in constant trouble. (laughs) Jesus says troubles will come. Storms will come. Difficulty will come. You can't escape it. And that brings us to the second point. That there is a power that we can't live without. Now look again at verse 48. It says, shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. All right, shortly before dawn. This is, this is a weak translation of this. L- literally, uh, it says, in the fourth watch of the night. And you're like, what does that mean? It means Scholars say it means about 3 a.m. And I think that's very interesting. Because remember, Jesus has just done this Miracle with the crowds, everybody's gotten excited, and at the end of the day, he, he sends his disciples off into the boat, and so he's been watching them. He has been watching them in this storm for, I don't know, seven to eight hours at this point. And, and what you, you have to ask the question, why didn't he go sooner? Why does he wait so long? Why does he wait until the darkest part of the night when they had exhausted all of their energies and when they were at their most desperate place of need to come to them. And I'll tell you why. Because this is how he often comes to you and me. When life feels manageable, God feels irrelevant. You don't need God when life is good. You know why? Because you think you're in control. The illusion persists. And it's actually not until things go wrong and storms come crashing into our lives that we actually start to ask the big questions. That's why some of you are here this morning. And I'll tell you, there there are a number of people in this church who will say to you, the reason I found God was because of hard things that came into my life. I found him at my lowest place. And you see, a lot of people are actually skeptical of religion because of this. They say, ah, you know, and maybe this is you. Religion's just a crutch. It's just a crutch to kind of get you through tough times. It's something we fabricated to help us to be an emotional help when life gets hard. And therefore, it is not authentic and it is not real. But, But why does that make it inauthentic or not real? I mean, if there, if there really is a God, and we really were built for him, then doesn't it make sense that the hard times in life would not create a need for God, but they would actually reveal to us that we do need God? That's exactly how they work. One commentator puts it this way. He says, in storms, adversities, and defeat, human self-sufficiency is revealed for exactly what it is, which is human insufficiency. The storms of life, they reveal to us how insufficient we are and how powerless we are. And they show us that we need a power that is far, far bigger than ourselves to actually get through life. You know, this is actually the starting place of AA. The starting place of AA is you have to admit that you are powerless over your addiction 
that you can't manage it in your own strength, and that you need a power greater than yourself to restore you. Now, where are we going to get a power like that? Where are we going to get a power that no matter what life throws at us, no matter what storms you face, there's a power to get you through. We get it right here in this passage, actually. Verse 50 says that when Jesus got to them, immediately he spoke to them and he said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And I, I think that that's a very kind of funny, strange way for Jesus to announce his presence. It is I. I mean, can you imagine walking into your Thanksgiving celebration later this week with friends and family, people who know you well, and you walk in the door and you say, it is I. Don't do that. That'd be socially weird. What, what, is, what is Jesus doing here? Actually, there, something deeper is going on. Because what Jesus literally says is this. Take courage. I am. And you say, what's so significant about that? In Exodus chapter 3, when God meets Moses, God says, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let the Israelites go. And Moses says, all right, well, I need to, I need to give them a name. I need to tell them who sent me. And God says, tell them, I am sent you. This is the first name that God gives himself in the Bible. And it is the name that Jesus claims for himself in this passage. See, Jesus is not just saying to the disciples, I'm here. No, he is saying, let me tell you who is in the boat with you right now. The God who created all things. The God who created the sea and everything else in it. And the God who delivered the Israelites out of slavery. And the God who parted the Red Sea. And the God who is the Alpha and the Omega and the first and the last and the beginning and the end. And the God who Revelation says, all of heaven cries out, worthy praise and glory and honor and wisdom, and listen to this, and power belong to our God forever and ever. And you see, in this moment in the boat, the disciples knew it. They knew who was with them. And the question for you and I this morning is, do you know it? Because I'll tell you something, life will be very hard to weather without it. Some of us, we are trying to navigate life in a dark, dangerous, and stormy world without God in the picture. And if you're at all honest about that, it's despairing. It's despairing. Atheist author Julian Barnes writes this. He says, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. To believe that there is no God, to believe that there is no one who is in control of things, and that your life is just a series of random events, is a very hard way to live. It's a very despairing way to live. You know what we need? We need a God. We need to know that even when life feels out of control, there is a God who is in control. We need to know that there is a God who is bigger than our circumstances. 
We need to know that when we are afraid and we don't know what the future holds, we know who holds the future. We need to know that even when we feel like we don't have the wisdom or strength to navigate difficulties in life, there is a God who does. People often say, God will never give you more than you can handle. Wrong. Wrong. God will never give you more than he can handle. You see, we need his power. We need his strength. We need his wisdom for all the storms that will come at us. But listen to this. Even that is not enough. Even that is not enough. And this brings us to the last point, which is a love that we can't ever lose. See, if you really want to deal with your fears, if you want to not be afraid, we need to know God's power, but we also need to know God's love. Psalm 62, verse 11 says this, One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard, that you, O God, are strong, and that you, O Lord, are loving. We need both. If, if God is all-powerful, but not loving then we can't trust him because he's not for us. And if he is loving but he's not all-powerful, then we can't trust him because he's not in control. Now, we need both. We need his power and his love. We've seen the power. Where's the love? Friends, it is all over this passage. It is all over this passage. Let me show you very quickly. Jesus is praying in verse 46. Who's he praying for? He's praying for the disciples. And guess what? He's praying for you too. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says, Jesus lives to intercede for us. This is an amazing thought. Whatever storms you are facing in life right now, Jesus is interceding to the Father on your behalf. You know what that means? It means that you, you might feel like you can't pray right now. You can't pray for yourself. Your faith feels so weak and you are so discouraged. I've been there. But Jesus is praying for you, even in that moment. And he's not just praying for the disciples, but he goes through the storm to get to them. And when he gets to them, look at how he speaks to them. He doesn't say, you idiots, I told you. No, he speaks to them with tenderness. Take courage. I am. Don't be afraid. And this is how he speaks to us. In our fear. In all the moments where we feel overwhelmed and overcome. But here's the last thing, and I think most importantly, where we see his love, is that it says in verse 51 that after he spoke to them, he climbed into the boat with them. Now, don't read over that. See, let me ask you a question. What is the greatest miracle in this passage? Some of you, you've been stuck ever since we read the passage on Jesus walking on water. That's pretty amazing. Um, It's not the greatest miracle in this passage. The greatest miracle in this passage is that Jesus gets into the boat with them. This is the real miracle of Christianity, and we're about to celebrate it in a couple weeks at Christmas. It's called the Incarnation. It says that God loved us so much 
that he became a person and he broke into history so that he could be near to us and so that he could be present in our lives and so that he could love us even in our fears. And you see, this is actually the love that we need to face our fears. 1 John 4 says, perfect love casts out fear. That's kind of a that's kind of a verse people love to throw around. Have you ever heard this verse? Perfect love casts out fear. Only God's love is perfect. I think, I think we, we misuse this verse a lot. None of our love is perfect. Only God's love is perfect. You know what that means? Only God's love can cast out fear. Only God's love can actually bring peace and rest to us in our storms. And you know what that means? It means that you've got to learn how to drive that love deeper and deeper into your life. And maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, I, okay, intellectually, I, I, I know in my head, I believe that God loves me, but, but I don't experience that most of the time. You ever been there? You ever wondered, how do I actually, how do, how do I actually drive that love deeper and deeper into my life? You've got to learn how to do it, or you will sink in the storms. And they're coming, and, 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 and for some of you, they're here. Some of us this morning, we can't even get to church because we're so sick. And others of us, we're not there, but, and I'm not trying to be a downer, but friends, it is coming. These things do not ask for your permission. And so you've got to learn how to drive this love deeper and deeper into your life. How do you do that? Let me just be very practical with you this morning as we finish this sermon. I'll give you a couple ways. Here's the first. Move towards community. This is so simple, but it's so easy to miss. Jesus does not come to the disciples in this passage individually. He comes to them while they are together. And if you really want to do business with your fears, if you want to not be overcome by your storms, then you have got to get with other Christians. You've got to get in a community group. You've got to let people into your life, and you've got to let people into your deepest fears and your most painful storms, because God does not just meet you individually. He always meets you in community. Move towards community. Here's the second thing. You have to practice letting Jesus into the boat. What do I mean by that? Now, think about this. One minute, Jesus is not present with the disciples. He's, he is on land, and they are on water. But the next minute, he is present with them in the boat. And you see, the question is, is how do we access and experience the presence of Jesus today? Let me tell you, we access it through his word, and through prayer, and through meditation, and through Sabbath, and coming together, and worshiping corporately together, and through fasting. And so whenever people say to me, you know, God's love seems abstract and stale, and I'm not moved by it, the first question I always want to ask is, how are you doing with these things? How are you doing with what we have called in the sermon series a couple Months ago, the spiritual disciplines. These things are the rivers by which God wants to flood your life with his love and with his presence. And every single one of us wants that. 
And we want it most desperately and most deeply in our storms. And you know what that means? It means that you've got to build these things into your life. And here's the last thing. To drive God's love deeper into your life, you have to learn to live under the cross. Now, a lot of, a lot of people, when they think about the cross, that's very abstract. And it's, it, it's like, what's the point? Why did, why, did, why did Jesus have to die? Friends, you have to learn to live under the cross. In, in just a minute, we're going to sing a very famous hymn. And it's called It Is Well. Some of you are very familiar with this hymn. Let me tell you the story behind this hymn. It was written by a man named Horatio Spafford. We just don't name people like we used to. Horatio <laughs> Spafford. And I will tell you that he knew storms. Things that would be our worst nightmares became a reality for him. He was a very wealthy businessman. Uh, he, was a, he was a real estate investor. Had tons of money. He lost it all in 1871 in the great Chicago fire. For many people, that'd be enough. Two years later... In 1873, his wife and his four daughters were on a boat set for England. And in the middle of the ocean, they collided with another boat. All four of his daughters died. His wife survived. And when she got to England, she sent a telegram with these two words, saved alone. He got on a boat to go be with his wife. And as, he was, as they were passing uh, the place where the accident happened, he went to his cabin and he wrote these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot Thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Now, friends, how do you get that kind of peace in the middle of that kind of storm? And he actually tells us in the very next verse. Though Satan should buffet, though trial should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. The Christian gospel says this, God saw us in all of our helplessness. And he saw us in all of our weakness. And in all of our storms, and in all of our sorrow, and in all of our sadness, and in all of our sin, and because of his great love for us, he went through the ultimate storm for us. You know what that storm is? It's the storm of God's judgment on the cross. And you see, if you trust in Christ, I want you to hear me say something this morning. That is a storm that you will never have to face. The reason that we can sing, it is well, is because on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. 
And the reason that Jesus can come to us this morning and say, do not be afraid, no matter what is going on in our lives, is because he went through the ultimate storm, which is the only storm that can actually destroy you. And get this, he went willingly. The gospel says that Jesus came and he took the punishment that we deserved so that we could have the love that he deserved. And when you see him doing that for you, let me tell you, it does not answer all the questions you have for God about why certain things have happened in your life. But what it does tell you, despite it all, is that God loves you. And that is the love that we find at this table. It's a love that you can never lose once you have it. It's a love that points us to a God who has promised not to keep us from storms, but to be with us in them until he carries us home safely in the end. And if you have this love, nothing can take it away from you, not even death. If you have this love, you can know you're going to be okay no matter what is happening. And if you have this love, you can actually hear Jesus say to you, take courage. I am. Do not be afraid. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And after he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he blessed it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he blessed it, saying, this cup represents the new covenant, which is shed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul tells us that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Lord Jesus, thank you for your great love for us. You know all the ways that we are so prone to question it and to doubt it and to live in suspicion of it when life gets hard. And in response, you have given to us this table that says you will stop at nothing to win us back to yourself and to bring us home safely one day. Would you give us faith to believe these things as we eat and drink together today? In Christ's name, amen.